This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss Chapter 30 The last bed of rock, before we reached the cave which Jack had pierced, was so soft and easy to work, that we had little difficulty in proportioning and opening the place for our door. I hoped that, being now exposed to the heat of the sun, it would soon become as hard as the original surface. The door was that we had used for the staircase at Falcon's Nest, for as we only intended to make a temporary residence of our old tree, there was no necessity for solid fittings, and besides, I intended to close the entrance of the tree by a door of bark, more effectually to conceal it, in case savages should visit us. I then laid out the extent of the grotto at pleasure, for we had ample space. We began by dividing it into two parts, that on the right of the entrance was to be our dwelling, on the left were, first, our kitchen, then the workshop and the stables, behind these were the storerooms and the cellar. In order to give light and air to our apartments, it was necessary to insert in the rock the windows we had brought from the ship, and this cost us many days of labor. The right-hand portion was subdivided into three rooms, the first our own bedroom, the middle the common sitting-room, and beyond the boys' room. As we had only three windows, we appropriated one to each bedroom, and the third to the kitchen, contenting ourselves at present with a grating in the dining-room. I constructed a sort of chimney in the kitchen, formed of four boards, and conducted the smoke thus through a hole made in the face of the rock. We made our workroom spacious enough for us to carry on all our manufactures, and it served also for our cart-house. Finally, all the partition walls were put up, communicating by doors, and completing our commodious habitation. These various labors, the removal of our effects, and arranging them again, all the confusion of a change when it was necessary to be at once workmen and directors, took us a great part of summer. But the recollection of the vexations we should escape in the rainy season gave us energy. We passed nearly all our time at Tent House, the centre of our operations, and besides the gardens and plantations which surrounded it, we found many advantages which we profited by. Large turtles often came to deposit their eggs in the sand, a pleasant treat for us, but we raised our desires to the possession of the turtles themselves, living, to eat when we chose. As soon as we saw one on the shore, one of my sons ran to cut off its retreat. We then hastened to assist, turned the creature on its back, passed a long cord through its shell, and tied it firmly to a post close to the water. We then placed it on its legs, when, of course, it made for the water, but could only ramble the length of its cord. It seemed, however, very content, and we had it in readiness when we wanted it. The lobsters, crabs, mussels, and every sort of fish which abounded on the coast plentifully supplied our table. One morning we were struck with an extraordinary spectacle. A large portion of the sea appeared in a state of 
ebullition, and immense flocks of marine birds were hovering over it, uttering piercing cries and plunging into the waves. From time to time the surface, on which the rising sun now shone, seemed covered with little flames, which rapidly appeared and vanished. Suddenly this extraordinary mass advanced to the bay, and we ran down, full of curiosity. We found, on our arrival, that this strange phenomenon was caused by a shoal of herrings. These shoals are so dense that they are often taken for sandbanks, are many leagues in extent, and several feet in depth. They spread themselves over the seas, carrying to barren shores the resources that nature has denied them. These brilliant, scaly creatures had now entered the bay, and my wife and children were lost in admiration of the wonderful sight. But I reminded them that when Providence sends plenty, we ought to put forth our hands to take it. I sent immediately for the necessary utensils, and organized my fishery. Fritz and Jack stood in the water, and such was the thickness of the shoal that they filled baskets, taking them up as you would water in a pail. They threw them on the sand. My wife and Ernest cut them open, cleaned them, and rubbed them with salt. I arranged them in small barrels, a layer of herrings and a layer of salt, and when the barrel was full, the ass, led by Francis, took them up to the storehouse. This labor occupied us several days, and at the end of that time we had a dozen barrels of excellent salt provision against the winter season. The refuse of this fishery, which we threw into the sea, attracted a number of sea-dogs. We killed several for the sake of the skin and the oil, which would be useful to burn in lamps, or even as an ingredient in soap, which I hoped to make at some future time. At this time I greatly improved my sledge, by placing it on two small wheels belonging to the guns of the ship, making it a light and commodious carriage, but so low that we could easily place heavy weights on it. Satisfied with our labours, we returned very happy to Falcon's Nest, to spend our Sunday, and to thank God heartily for all the blessings He had given us. End of chapter the Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss Chapter 31 We went on with our labors, but slowly, as many employments diverted us from the great work. I had discovered that the crystals of salt in our grotto had a bed of gypsum for their base, from which I hoped to obtain a great advantage. I was fortunate enough to discover, behind a projecting rock, a natural passage leading to our storeroom, strewn with fragments of gypsum. I took some of it to the kitchen, and by repeated burnings calcined it, and reduced it to a fine white powder, which I put into casks, and carefully preserved for use. My intention was to form our partition walls of square stones cemented with the gypsum. I employed my sons daily to collect this, till we had amassed a large quantity, using some in the first place effectually to cover our herring-barrels. Four barrels were salted and covered in this way. The rest my wife smoked in a little hut of reeds and branches, in the midst of which the herrings were laid on sticks, and exposed to the smoke of a fire of green moss kindled below.
This dried them, and gave them the peculiar flavour so agreeable to many. We were visited by another shoal of fish, a month after that of the herrings. Jack first discovered them at the mouth of Jackal River, where they had apparently come to deposit their eggs among the scattered stones. They were so large that he was sure they must be whales. I found them to be pretty large sturgeons, besides salmon, large trout, and many other fishes. Jack immediately ran for his bow and arrows, and told me he would kill them all. He fastened the end of a ball of string to an arrow, with a hook at the end of it. He tied the bladders of the dogfish at certain distances to the string. He then placed the ball safe on the shore, took his bow, fixed the arrow in it, and aiming at the largest salmon, shot it in the side. The fish tried to escape. I assisted him to draw the cord, and it was no easy task, for he struggled tremendously. But at length, weakened by loss of blood, we drew him to land and dispatched him. The other boys came running up to congratulate the young fisherman on his invention, and as it was to be feared that the rest, alarmed by this attack, might take their departure, we determined to abandon everything for the fishery. Fritz threw his harpoon, and landed, by means of the reel, some large salmon. Ernest took his rod, and caught trout, and I, armed like Neptune with an iron trident, succeeded in striking amongst the stones some enormous fish. The greatest difficulty was to land our booty. Fritz had struck a sturgeon at least eight feet long, which resisted our united efforts till my wife brought the buffalo, which we harnessed to the line and made ourselves masters of this immense prize. We had a great deal of labour in opening and cleaning all our fish. Some we dried and salted, some my wife boiled in oil, as they preserved the tunny. The spawn of the sturgeon, a huge mass, weighing not less than thirty pounds, I laid aside to prepare as caviar, a favourite dish in Holland and Russia. I carefully cleansed the eggs from the skin and fibres that were mixed with them, washed them thoroughly in sea-water, slightly sprinkled them with salt, then put them in a gourd pierced with small holes to let the water escape and placed weights on them to press them completely for twenty-four hours. We then removed the caviar in solid masses, like cheeses, took it to the smoking-hut to dry, and in a few days had this large addition to our winter provision. My next employment was the preparation of the valuable isinglass. I took the air-bladder and sounds of the fish, cut them in strips, twisted them in rolls, and dried them in the sun. This is all that is necessary to prepare this excellent glue. It becomes very hard, and when wanted for use, is cut up in small pieces and dissolved over a slow fire. The glue was so white and transparent that I hoped to make window-panes from it instead of glass. After this work was finished, we began to plan a boat to replace our tub-raft. I wished to try to make one of bark, as the savage nations do, and I proposed to make an expedition in search of a tree for our purpose. All those in our own neighbourhood were too precious to destroy, some for their fruits, others for their shade. We resolved to search at a distance for trees fit for our purpose, 
taking in our road a survey of our plantations and fields. Our garden at Tent House produced abundantly continual successions of vegetables in that virgin soil, and in a climate which recognized no change of season. The peas, beans, lentils, and lettuces were flourishing, and only required water, and our channels from the river brought this plentifully to us. We had delicious cucumbers and melons, the maize was already a foot high, the sugar-canes were prospering, and the pineapples on the high ground promised us a rich treat. We hoped our distant plantations were going on as well, and all set out one fine morning to Falcon's Nest, to examine the state of things there. We found my wife's cornfields were luxuriant in appearance, and for the most part ready for cutting. There were barley, wheat, oats, beans, millet, and lentils. We cut such of these as were ready, sufficient to give us seeds for another year. The richest crop was the maize, which suited the soil, but there were a quantity of gatherers more eager to taste these new productions than we were. There were birds of every kind, from the bustard to the quail, and from the various establishments they had formed round, it might be presumed they would not leave much for us. After our first shock at the sight of these robbers, we used some measures to lessen the number of them. Fritz unhooded his eagle, and pointed out the dispersing bustards. The well-trained bird immediately soared, and pounced on a superb bustard, and laid it at the feet of its master. The jackal, too, who was a capital pointer, brought to his master about a dozen little fat quails, which furnished us with an excellent repast, to which my wife added a liquor of her own invention, made of the green maize, crushed in water, and mingled with the juice of the sugar-cane, a most agreeable beverage, white as milk, sweet and refreshing. We found the bustard, which the eagle had struck down, but slightly wounded. We washed his hurts with a balsam made of wine, butter, and water, and tied him by the leg in the poultry-yard, as a companion to our tame bustard. We passed the remainder of the day at Falcon's Nest, putting our summer abode into order, and thrashing out our grain, to save the precious seed for another year. The turkey-wheat was laid by in sheaves, till we should have time to thrash and winnow it, and then I told Fritz that it would be necessary to put the hand-mill in order that we had brought from the wreck. Fritz thought we could build a mill ourselves on the river, but this bold scheme was, at present, impracticable. The next day we set out on an excursion in the neighborhood. My wife wished to establish colonies of our animals at some distance from Falcon's Nest, at a convenient spot, where they would be secure and might find subsistence. We selected from her poultry-yard twelve young fowls. I took four young pigs, two couple of sheep, and two goats. These animals were placed in the cart, in which we had previously placed our provisions of every kind and the tools and utensils we might need, not forgetting the rope-ladder and the portable tent. We then harnessed the buffalo, the cow, and the ass, and departed on our tour. Fritz rode before on Lightfoot, to reconnoitre the ground, that we might not plunge into any difficulties, as, this time, we went in a new direction, 
exactly in the midst between the rocks and the shore, that we might get acquainted with the whole of the country that stretched to Cape Disappointment. We had the usual difficulty, at first, in getting through the high grass, and the underwood embarrassed our road, till we were compelled to use the axe frequently. I made some trifling discoveries that were useful while engaged in this labour. Amongst others, some roots of trees curved like saddles, and yokes for beasts of draught. I cut away several of these, and placed them on the cart. When we had nearly passed the wood, we were struck with the singular appearance of a little thicket of low bushes, apparently covered with snow. Francis clapped his hands with joy, and begged to get out of the cart that he might make some snowballs. Fritz galloped forward, and returned, bringing me a branch loaded with this beautiful white down, which, to my great joy, I recognized to be cotton. It was a discovery of inestimable value to us, and my wife began immediately to enumerate all the advantages we should derive from it, when I should have constructed for her the machines for spinning and weaving the cotton. We soon gathered as much as filled three bags intending afterwards to collect the seeds of this marvellous plant, to sow in the neighbourhood of Tent House. After crossing the plain of the cotton-trees, we reached the summit of a hill, from which the eye rested on a terrestrial paradise. Trees of every sort covered the sides of the hill, and a murmuring stream crossed the plain, adding to its beauty and fertility. The wood we had just crossed formed a shelter against the north winds, and the rich pasture offered food for our cattle. We decided at once that this should be the site of our farm. We erected our tent, made a fireplace, and set about cooking our dinner. While this was going on, Fritz and I sought a convenient spot for our structure, and we met with a group of beautiful trees, at such a distance one from another as to form natural pillars for our dwelling. We carried all our tools here, but as the day was far advanced, we delayed commencing our work till next day. We returned to the tent, and found my wife and her boys picking cotton, with which they had made some very comfortable beds, and we slept peacefully under our canvas roof. End of chapter